Welcome back, everyone, to Cartels, Conspiracies, and Camarena. I'm Jack Llewellyn. Thank you for joining me. Had a week off last week to spend Easter with my daughter. And frankly, I missed this. I missed talking to all of you. So happy to be back. And we are going to resume some of the discussions we had in the last couple of episodes. In particular, those episodes, we talked about some cartels and cartel leaders, and we examined the rise and fall of some cartels and really looked at kind of the personalities of the people who ran those cartels or were important to the cartels, in part because they're interesting stories, and in part to try and get an idea of why some cartels have been around for so long, why some leaders have sustained over a period of time where others haven't. Today, we're going to look at Los Zetas, and we're going to look at their leaders, Z1, 2, and 3, and we'll describe in detail all three of those. Before we do, I want to say something about the sources, the data, the information, the material on Los Zetas. If you really start digging into it, you figure out pretty quickly that almost everything that's at all verifiable comes down to about two or three sources. Now, one is a well-known journalist that I think has a lot of credibility. Another is a political science international relations professor who's now passed. So they have a lot of credibility, but even within their work, number one, they disagree sometimes. Number two, they rely at least in part, on anecdotes, rumors, gossip, etc. And so there are certain stories, there's a certain aura that goes around Los Zetas in particular that may or may not be 100% accurate, and we're going to try to point that out as we go along. Now, in the past, we've talked about Gulf Cartel leader Ocel Cardenas Guillen, right? He's the one took control of the Gulf cartel and said, in essence, hey, our cartel's going to be better off, you know, more able to respond both defensively and aggressively to situations, expand our territory if we have some soldiers, some real soldiers. And in that area happened to be that there were Groups of military who had initially been trained for the counterinsurgency of the Zapatistas down in the Chiapas region and later moved north for anti-drug efforts. And Cardenas Guillen is the one who said, hey, if we get together, we can be pretty powerful. First person he went to was Arturo Guzman de Sena. Z1. Now, what do we know about Arturo Guzman de Sena? Not a whole lot. And I'm going to point out a a couple of things that I I think are interesting. So we know he was born into a poor family in Puebla. Don't know the exact date. We know that he joined the military, probably as some kids do to avoid poverty, bad situations. So you join the military. One of the things you'll see if you look up Guzman de Sena is you'll see uh, while in the military, I'm, I'm going to quote directly from, from a source. 
It says, while in the military, he was a talented and bright soldier, earning a position in the special forces of the military by the mid-1990s. But there's no backup for that, okay? But what do we what do we know for sure? We know that at one point he did join the Mexican military special forces, and in particular, he received counterinsurgency training, um, training in explosives, uh, tracking down enemies, elite combat. Um, we also believe that at different times he was involved in training conducted by U.S. Special Forces and by Israeli Defense Forces. Apparently, um, at some point in time, he started taking some bribes from the cartel, started working with uh, Cardenas Guillen at a part-time and if- Eventually, he defected full-time to the criminal organization. Um, some of those sources, you know, the, the beginning ones have said, you know, it's really unclear why he defected from the army to become, as one of them called it, a narco-mercenary. I, I think, you know, we might just be overlooking the obvious, which is that it was a whole lot more money. Um, and, you know, sometimes the... The simplest answer is is the best one. Now, here is a story. Really, really hard to know how accurate this is. But here's what we're going to talk about. So in about 1996, Juan Garcia Abrego, who had initially been, or at least previously been, the head of the Gulf Cartel, he was in prison. And... Cardenas Guillen had a rival for leadership of the Gulf Cartel, Angel Salvador Gomez Herrera, El Chava. And word is, or the story goes, that they functioned pretty well together. They were pretty good at buying off police, and you know they, they did a good job. They worked together pretty well. Um, but after a while, Cardenas Guillen got annoyed by what he perceived as Gomez Herrera's um, incessant need to uh, spend money, ask for money, try to somehow diminish Cardenas Guillen's uh, authority within the cartel. And so, um, at one point, mid-1999, after Ocial Cardenas Guillen's daughter is baptized, they get into a car. They being um, Guzman de Sena, Gomez Herrera, and Cardenas Guillen. Cardenas Guillen, unbeknownst to Gomez Herrera, had told Guzman de Sena to execute. Um, Gomez Herrera, El Chava. You know, the story goes at some point they're in the truck and Guzman de Sena shoots Gomez Herrera, El Chava in the head. Investigators later later found uh, Herrera's body on the outskirts of Matamoros. And 
Um, Cardenas Guillen is unrivaled then for leadership of the Gulf Cartel. Story is that because of his killing of or his ordering of the killing of Gomez Herrera, Cardenas Guillen is called Mata Amigos, friend killer, and Guzman de Sena earns the unquestioned trust of Cardenas Guillen. Guzman de Sena recruits other members of the Mexican Special Forces and forms Los Zetas, where he is Z1. He was, he being um, Guzman de Sena, unquestioned Z1 in charge of the Zetas, but he really was very closely tied to Cardenas Guillen until November 21, 2002, when he was killed by, ironically, Mexican Army Special Forces in Matamoros. So, November 2002, Z1 is gone. Z2 is somebody by the name of Rogelio Gonzalez Pizana. Pizania, sorry. Or El Kelin. He was one of the founders of the Zetas. Obviously, he's Z2. Unlike the rest of the Zetas founders, he did not serve in the Mexican Armed Forces. Should lead to the question of, well, then how in the hell did he become Z2? And you know what? I can't find the answer to that. If anybody knows, please tell me. I've looked. I've spent a lot of time looking, and I don't find anything that's even close to a good explanation of how he came into power. In any event, though he comes into power, um, again, after... Cardenas Guillen, or I mean, after um, Decena is captured in 2002, he kind of rules with Z3, who we'll talk about in just a second. But then he gets arrested by um, the former uh, federal police, the PFP, in Matamoros on October 29th, 2004. Interestingly enough, he um, so he's arrested in 2004, but he's not really sentenced um, for several years. 2014, he gets released from prison. Apparently, a judge in Guadalajara had um, commuted his sentence or gave him a new sentence for a variety of reasons which turned out to be six years and three days, which was essentially time served. So uh, August of 2014, he's released from prison. December of 2015, so a little bit more than a year later, he's killed along with some members of his family in Matamoros, allegedly by members of the Gulf Cartel. And that leads us to... Heriberto Lascano Lascano, Z3. Little bit more is known about Lascano. He was born on Christmas Day, 
December 1974 in Apan Hidalgo, Mexico. He apparently enlisted as an infantry soldier in the Mexican army when he was 17, and he later became a member of GAF, Grupo Aeromivo de Fuerzas Especiales, GAFE, the Mexican Special Forces. But the, more than just special forces, the, you know, these are like, I want to compare them to like the Navy SEALs. They not necessarily as good or anything like that, but it's supposed to be the elite of the elite. And initially, again, he, like uh, the others, were charged with combating guerrillas, insurgencies in Chiapas, EZLN, that's the, the Zapatistas. And then they started working against um, drug trafficking organizations. Um, while serving in the military, it's alleged or it's stated that he too received training from the Israeli Defense Forces, the U.S. Army, that his training was specifically designed towards the areas of counterinsurgency, counterterrorism, um, snipers, uh, jungle, mountain, desert, naval, urban war- warfare, explosives, high-caliber rifles, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Interestingly enough, allegedly in February of 1998, he was detained by Mexican authorities and found to have 325 kilos of marijuana in his Chevy Silverado. At that time, he um, allegedly was a police officer, uh, a state judicial police officer, while also working for Cardenas Guillen. Documents that talk about this arrest don't explain why he was allowed to leave, but apparently the narcotics were confiscated. He was allowed to go, and soon after that, he left his position in the military and his duty as a police officer to um, go to work full-time for the cartel. Lascano was instrumental um, even before Z1 um, you know was was um, was killed he was instrumental in helping to grow the Zetas and he was helpful in recruiting lots and lots of these specialized forces that was really his key component. Um, And in addition to Mexican forces, they also recruited special forces from the Guatemalan military. A couple of the other things that Lescano is credited with and credited in air quotes, he created um, more of a federation type system, something that, that we talk about CDS having uh, today, but he had these regional cells. And in addition to drug trafficking, Lascano is really the one who said, hey, 
there are a lot of ways to make money. There are a lot of ways to make money when we're the only ones, you know, holding the big weapons. So he's the one who apparently got these regional cells involved in other areas of illegal activity, extortions, um, you know, human trafficking, et cetera, et cetera. It's also said that Lascano instilled kind of a military culture in the Zetas. Um, so recruits had titles of lieutenant and commander, and they were trained in military tactics. And it was, for all t- intents and purposes, run more like a military operation. 2008 or so, and because of the dynamics that we've talked about in the past with respect to the Gulf Cartel, the Gulf Cartel's relationship with CDS and all, about 2008, Lascano kind of steps outside the relationship with the Gulf Cartel and forges an alliance with the Beltran Leva brothers, their cartel, and also with Vicente Carrillo Fuentes of the Juarez Cartel. By about 2010, this leads to the complete and total fracture of the relationship between the Gulf Cartel and the Zetas, and the Zetas go on on their own, and that's when they start becoming really known as, you know, the violent, um, well-armed military force that they became known as. Um, here's a few things that you might find interesting with respect to Lizcano. Um He is suspected, allegedly, of killing hundreds of people. One um, in particular is a Mexican journalist by the name of Francisco Ortiz Franco, who was assassinated in 2004 while leaving a clinic. His children were with him. He was um, killed in kind of a sniper attack that Lescano is said to have conducted himself. One um, one report said that um, Lascano, because of his military training, was able to combine, and this is a quote, military precision with stone-hearted criminality. Um, one of the things that the Zetas were able to do, as we've talked about in the past, is rapidly grow their territorial reach. One of the ways that apparently they did this is they would go into new regions, find out who was in charge of the local kidnapping, human trafficking, extortion rings, you know, those sorts of things, and then take over their business. Either kill them, bribe them, or just convince them to go away. And I got to tell you, it makes sense to me. You kill a couple of those people, you don't have to kill the rest, right? Um, Apparently, Lescano had a reputation for new and inventive ways of killing and or torturing people. He um, allegedly liked to decapitate his victims, 
Uh, he would put people in acid baths both before and after death. Uh, he had a torture mem- method that uh, is reported to be uh, called La Paleta, the Popsicle, which um, victims were stripped naked and brutally beaten with a board. Uh, he also owned a ranch that apparently had several lions and tigers that uh, <laughs> that that fed on humans shall we say, uh, and and was a convenient source to get rid of victims. Apparently, also, he uh, did not take well to subordinates challenging him. And um, there are reports, again, this is more anecdote than, than uh, you know, fact, but maybe it as well be true. Uh, but apparently he would um, dump his victims in large barrels of boiling oil. Again, sometimes when they were dead, sometimes when they weren't. Also stories that he would sometimes capture people's children and do the same with their children to get them to talk or cooperate. Um, a whole variety of things. Now, one of the interesting issues that comes up is August of 2012, Around this time, lots of reports that Miguel Chavano Morales, who we talked about before, at this point in time when Lescano is in charge, Miguel Chavano Morales becomes the second in command. And 2012, late 2012, lots and lots of stories about there being conflict between Lascano and Trevino Morales. Some had said that um, Lascano had been displaced and actually fled to Europe for a period of time. Um, a, a whole variety of, of stories. It turns out, it turns out that most of those stories were a false flag operation by Mexican and U.S. officials. But, but my guess from everything I've looked at is that there was an underlying element of truth, as often happens in these sorts of things. So there became a sort of rivalry between Lascano, Gervinio Morales, different opinions on how to, how to, proceed, you know, where the the cartel should go, where it should grow, who should get money, all of the things that you can imagine. And so at some point, 2012, more or less, there become rival factions within the cartel itself, even though Lescano is still technically in charge. What's interesting, I think, is the idea that these guys were military, right? Lescano, most of the people working for him, the people, you know, who had formed Los Zetas, and they are said to be, you know, 30, 31, something like that, you know, going all the way back to, you know, when uh, Guzman de Sena started at, with Cardenas Guillen. And yet... As much as they tried to run it like a military operation, 
there became these internal rivalries and internal divisions and factions based around money, based around power, based around reputation and prestige, things that one would think would be less prevalent within a military type structure, but clearly was not in this case. So we get through 2012, there's, um, Evidence of the these um, this infighting um, and um, you know battles internally between Trevino Morales and Lascano. Not really sure to what extent, but there becomes more and more issues. We get to October of 2012. Now, two stories. One is Lascano is at a baseball game in Matamoros and is uh, attacked, killed by Mexican special forces as he leaves the baseball game. He was there essentially by himself, didn't have much of his bodyguard contingent with him, and was taken by surprise and killed. That's story number one. Story number two is that in October 2012, the Mexican Navy gets a complaint regarding the um, presence of an armed gunman in Progreso. uh, And the Navy arrives and finds out that there is Lascano and a gunman in a van there becomes a shootout with the Marines and Lescano, his gunman, and one Marine are dead. In the vehicle, there's said to have been a grenade launcher, grenades, possibly a um, rocket-propelled grenade launch- launcher, two rifles. This story goes on to say that shortly after... Lascano's deaths, they fingerprint and take photographs of his corpse, are getting ready to hand the body over to local authorities and to make an official announcement that, hey, we got Z3. Several, several heavily armed and masked gunmen storm the funeral home, take the body of um, both of the men. The uh, state prosecutor is quoted as saying a masked armed group overpowered the personnel, took the bodies, and forced the owner of the funeral home to drive the getaway vehicle. So, those are the two stories on how he died. Um, But what we do know is he essentially was no longer in uh, command, even even if you want to um, dispute or question a little bit the exact timing and or method of his death by about uh, 2013. And here's something I found interesting too. It, it's reported that when he died, the Mexican Navy 
measured him when they were doing the fingerprints and things and found out that he was five foot 11 inches. He'd always been said, according to this report, um, authorities had always said he was five foot three. Now that's a hell of a difference, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's eight inches difference. Um, and to me, that that raises additional questions, um, but it's all rampant speculation, so probably not necessary to go there. Um, there is a chapel in the village of Tezontal, and I'm sure I'm not pronouncing that correctly, and I apologize. I meant to look or to try and get a better pronunciation before I started. It's in Hidalgo. And this chapel has a plaque on it that says it was donated. And I'm quoting the plaque now. Uh, donated by Heriberto Lascano Lascano. Lord, hear my prayer. And uh, it then goes on to say that the chapel was built in honor of Pope John Paul II. There are also um, stories that... Um, Lescano was responsible for the construction of many buildings, many festivities. Some of those um, in honor of Our Lady of San Juan de los Lagos, which happens every February. Um, he also organized celebrations during, during Children's Days. Um, and uh, apparently that was done for you know, a couple of reasons. One is, despite being a, <laughs> a bloodthirsty um, killer, uh, he was also Catholic. And, and so I think that some of what we see as a very real um, interest in promoting the Catholic faith in areas of, of Mexico, and he did that. Some of it, of course, is helpful to gain the trust, the gratitude, the favor of local villagers and communities. So, and we've seen that before, right? We, we've seen um, other groups do that. We saw CJNG do it a lot during the pandemic with COVID. So where do we end up now? October, November, December, someplace around there of 2012, Lescano is gone. His second in command, Miguel Trevino, um, comes in. He was Z40. His brother, Omar, is Z42. They come in as the leaders and really take, how do I want to say this? The, the bad stuff that Lozcano did gets expanded. Um, the, the, Trevino brothers are known for being far more bloodthirsty, more massacres. There's lots of, of group activities and deaths and, you know, again, massacres that are attributed to them during the very short period of time of when Z40 Miguel and Z42 Omar were in power. Um, Miguel is arrested in 2013. Omar is arrested in March of 2015. And with the 
arrest of Omar for all practical purposes, the Zetas as they were known fall apart. And today, what do we know? We know that there are some elements of the Zetas. There are some um, people who claim to be representatives of or members of a group of the the new generation of Zetas. But the Zetas aren't the Zetas anymore, right? It's kind of like saying in, in, in the U.S., you know, in certain areas, the mafia still exists in New York, but it's not what it was in the past, right? And And that's the case here. Again, one of the things that I find so fascinating and I, I, and I'm looking into this a little bit more because I just I, I, I like the psychology of this is how quickly this disciplined military group fell apart, turned into various factions, dissipated into different areas where now you've got a couple people here, a couple people there. But what was once the biggest, baddest cartel, or one of them, you know, came and went pretty quickly. Now, part of that, again, is when you are the biggest and the baddest and you do bad things, and particularly with respect to the Trevino brothers, you know, when they are being credited with several massacres, you know, they had a target on their back, no pun intended. You know, that that was how it worked. But they still couldn't hold it together. And I find that interesting. I find it ironic. Um, and again, what does that say about Elemento? What does that say about El Mayo? What does it say about their practices their organizations where we've seen less of that. Now, of course, El Mayo has the issue with Los Chapitos, which, what a segue, which is what we're going to talk about next week. Why are we going to talk about next week? Because this week, the Department of Justice came out and said, hey, we are unsealing a number of indictments against Los Chapitos and like a hundred other people associated with them. And moreover, here's the distribution routes that they use for fentanyl. Here's a chart of their organization. And they even come out and say, in the last year and a half, we have infiltrated Los Chapitos like never before, and we know so much about them. So next week, we're going to look specifically at what they've said, what they've alleged, and maybe question a little bit. But for today, that's Z1, Z2, and Z3, and as I like to call it, the ironic downfall of Los Cetas. A couple other quick things. YouTube channel has, um, or will have very shortly, Parts one and two on the abduction of Agent Camarena, starting in uh, with the first one being the facts we know for sure. Number two is 
the lies, the misstatements, or even let's let's be less pejorative, the statements of alleged witnesses that don't fall into the timeline of known verifiable facts. So look for that. We've got some pictures, we got some timelines, we got some diagrams. Think you'll find it interesting. Um another plug for my book. I apologize, someone had to die. Check it out. Check out Jaime Kirkendall's book as well. And as always, if there's issues, things that you want to talk about, that you want me to look into, I really, really enjoy this. I I, I wish we could find more information on some of these things. I'm happy to go any direction people want. Um, but again, next week we're going to talk about Los Chapitos, the DEA, and the Department of Justice, and that's Cartels, Conspiracies, and Camarena for this week. Thanks a lot, everybody.